Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the entertainment from the 573. Hope you all are doing well today, and happy 15th anniversary to the Dark Knight. And we are discussing this very beloved film on its 15th anniversary. It's hard to believe that 15 years have already passed since the sequel to Batman Begins has come out. And it's very fitting that I'm here with Peter Lewis, the the lover of all things DC, sitting here discussing this movie. Peter, how are you doing today? Uh, just did some quick math. 15 years ago, I was 13, and that feels like a lifetime ago, but also like <laughs> in a weird way recent. So it's going to be a crisis of uh, time's passages. But you know what? It's fine. It's fine. We're, we're all slowly dying. It's We, we all have that in common. <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, so yes, 15 years ago, 2008, uh, you know, 13. Um, let, let's kind of put ourselves back in that time frame, I guess, uh, as we start, um, or before we start, let's get some stuff out of the way. Uh, this is potentially a part one to a part two podcast coming up. We may or may not record it. Uh, we're recording this July 1st. We may or may not record part two tonight. Depends on how long this one goes but uh this will be a part one to a part two podcast uh that'll come out tbd talking about this film versus the batman uh so that'll be fun whenever we get to that but uh yeah we got that on the way we got a lot of other pods on the way be sure to go check us out wherever you guys get your podcasts subscribe give us a rating review check us out on youtube at 573 podcast uh, we got a couple of videos now up for both the channels now. So uh, we're rolling steady on those. And uh, check out the ADP, Average Dudes Podcast, which Matt and I did the other night. We didn't forget to uh, record uh, 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 the first part of that. Of course, we did that uh, with the Views Pod, but I don't think I left that in with the Views Pod. So be sure to go check that out. You can find out my early thoughts on how I think the Tennessee Titans are going to be this year uh less than favorable but uh <laughs> uh but uh be sure to go check that out uh and leave them a like and all that good stuff uh but i think that's everything out the way so peter we, again let's go back to 2008 and shortly before this film came out a couple months ago we had the first iron man movie and funny enough, this was the movie that kind of sparked this idea. I think I sent something in the group chat saying it's Iron Man's 15th year anniversary. And you mentioned, I think you mentioned that it was, oh, Dark Knight, 15 years old too. So it was like, and then I think the wheels start turning. It's like, you know, probably we need to do a pot on that. And it was like, yeah. So that was kind of the genesis of this. And also, we did a retrospective pod probably, what, 2019 or something like that. I think early 19. That sounds right. And uh, we did the whole Dark Knight trilogy, which a retrospective on the retrospective. Uh, <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> uh, probably not a good idea to just load all the three of those films uh, into one pod. So, you know, it's fitting with the 15th year anniversary that we are doing this. It's about time. So let's go back to 2008. We had Iron Man 1 come out and was kind of the birthplace of the MCU as we 
well, not know it now, but the start of this huge cinematic universe. Then we got the Dark Knight a couple months later. We had Batman Begins, you know, solid box office, you, you know, and a solid opening from Christopher Nolan and from Christian Bale and you know, Bale's first turn as Batman. Uh, what were your kind of feelings going into the Dark Knight and you know, and coming out the theater? What what was your feelings going into and after the movie? Yeah, it's funny. I don't think I've ever said this on the Potter. Probably even told you. I I think most people just expect. Oh, Peter's always been into movies, and uh, that's far from the case. Like I always dug movies to an extent, but wasn't like religiously obsessed like I am now. So I I remember uh, I didn't see Batman Begins theaters. I this was back in the day when Blockbuster was still alive and kicking up. R.I.P. King, as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> so there, I saw that like during the holidays of like oh five. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And just completely forgot about it. I think a lot of people did because the box office for that one, I think, was kind of technically a flop in a way compared to its budget and earnings when you take into account the advertising after the budget. So, mm-hmm. so honestly, uh, funny enough, when 2008 rolled around, I don't think I was aware the Batman sequel was out, as crazy as that is to say. <laughs> I, I, I tried to, like, big brain it. I was like, I just don't remember if I was like even aware of Batman movies coming out, but uh, that summer, like three weeks after it came out, my uh, aunt and uncle were in town, and they were like, "Oh, you like Batman growing up, right? Did you see the new one?" I was like, "No, I <laughs> kind of forgot it was out." He's like, "Oh, we got to take you to see it. It's it's amazing." <laughs> I'm like, "Sure, let's do it." And uh, what was what was the runtime for this one? Two two and a half hours or so. Yeah, Ryan, I walked in a child. And I walked out a man. <laughs> I've, now, I know I've said this before. Film Peter was born after he saw The Dark Knight because, Ryan, this film fundamentally affected my life in a very profound way. I know it's so lame to say that because a lot of people abuse that term. It's like, oh, your music changed my life or all that jazz. But I was like, no, yeah. uh, to be fair, if I'm being honest with myself, after this film, I was just like, I, I can't believe that existed in the form of a stupid superhero movie (laughs) it was it's it's genuinely a great action film it's got a lot of good drama to it that's not super overtly pretentious it's very for the general audience but not you know michael bay transformers pandering yeah (laughs) it's got a lot of good i mean the joker is basically a great foil and adds some horror to it it's just the, the whole third act is just an adrenaline-filled, never leave leave uh, your eyes, never leave the screen. It's it is a nearly perfect film in almost a lot of regards, and I still believe that 15 years later. Yeah, you know that's kind of crazy that you bring that story off with <laughs> like, oh wait, <laughs> Dark Knight. <laughs> um. I think I mentioned this back on the retrospective pod a few years back, but uh, I kind of didn't know what the title of the Dark Knight meant. I didn't know it meant Batman. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, no, Dark Knight, what's this? Uh, you know, um, so I didn't see this in theaters. Um, I it's, was uh, like, it's this, it's this guy, Ryan. <laughs> the Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> Well, you got to remember in 2013, not 2013, uh, 2008, when 
basically when when Iron Man came out and all that stuff, I was pretty much unaware of a lot of this stuff. I don't think mm-hmm. it really happened until oh 2012, probably after the Avengers came out, when I really started to get into all this stuff. And of course, that's when Dark Knight Rises came out. Um, but with this one, I didn't see it in theaters. I think I got it on uh I forget who gave it to me, but I got it on DVD. Somebody said, Hey, you can borrow it and watch it. So I think it was like a Sunday afternoon. It's like I'm gonna put this movie on and see how it is. And I remember just the the robbery scene, the the opening to this movie. <laughs> where I don't know what it was, where I was just like a maniac. Where I was just like laughing at all these guys like dying in, in like the first few minutes and just the dialogue where, you know, thinking back on it, the dialogue, it sounds a little bit like what you would hear out of one of the Arkham games mm-hmm. from all the thugs. <laughs> like you're swinging around is like, uh, screw this guy. I'm going to screw him over and uh, <laughs> take all this money. Um, but I just remember laughing so hard at it. It's like, I got to rewind this again. <laughs> Because it's so funny. Um, but uh I just remember thinking, wow, that's an insane movie. And you know, and not the film guy that well, you said you the film Peter was born out of that. So it I, I meant so I imagine like we weren't really any we weren't that knowledgeable about you know some these guys who were playing the you know, like Bale, Ledger, or Nolan, and stuff like that. So I was just like, crap, that's a good movie. That's a really good movie. And how did I not see this in theaters? And all these years later, I really regret not seeing it in theater. I really yeah. do. It's kind of funny because I'm trying to remember, because I, I, I do enjoy Batman Begins now, but I don't remember how 10-year-old Peter fought of it. Because I did, I was, you know, I was raised on the the animated series and, you know, the Keaton stuff. Yeah. So that was kind of like my idea of Batman. So I don't really remember if I liked it too much, to be completely honest, when it came out. I thought it was cool to probably some extent. Yeah. But I was just like, because again, at 2008, really the only thing that came caught my mind superheroes was like the, the Raimi Spider-Man films. That was like the only real thing I thought about. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be completely honest. I didn't even know. An, I didn't even know an Iron Man film came out in 2008. It was like a year <laughs> later when I saw it. I was like, "Oh, this is badass!" Well, <laughs> oh, the sequels next year, perfect. It's gonna be even better. <laughs> oh, if only you were like me and stumbled on the ESPN and was like, "What's this ad? Iron Man? Was this?" Tells <laughs> a Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, um... you know. Uh, Funny enough, get this getting to me into movies, it uh, got me back into all these comics above me. And I was like, oh, I loved DC growing up. I wonder how the comics were now. And it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, fundamentally, it was, it's literally, what is it? Uh, it's the canon event, basically, for Peter Lewis. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, all these years later, I regret not seeing it in the theater. And, you know, if there's one of these days where they re-release it out, in a theater, it's like I, I'm first in line. I gotta go check this out. You know, I can't let the first time I see this movie be on a DVD. Like I gotta go check it out in theaters at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like I, I think a completely transformative experience for uh, both of us and seeing 
really for the longest time the definitive Batman film. And one of the definitive right. comic book movie films that we've had. Like I'm looking at some of the going through some of the background of it. Of course, directed by Christopher Nolan. It was the first sequel he ever did. And one of the things I read about is like he took that as kind of like a new challenge. It's like, you know, I've never done a sequel to a movie. Let's take the challenge on. And they had a couple ideas, and one of them was the Joker idea, and they ran with it. Uh, it was also the first film to use IMAX cameras, which, if you think about it now, IMAX is a huge part of the movie-going experience now. Saw the flash in IMAX, and um, oh. it, yeah, and all the bad CGI. Uh, but it really uh, stuck out. <laughs> it really stuck out. Uh, but uh, first film to use IMAX cameras. They used it for only a few scenes. They couldn't use it for all of them because you know the cameras were not as simple as they are probably mm -hmm. now. Oh, you know? 2007. They were they were probably the size of you know like a, a 32 inch TV and probably you know <laughs> with weighed like a hundred so pounds like. And I think the film back then had to be expensive. I, I, the only thing I knew in IMAX up until that point was uh, when I was in Pittsburgh. They had a uh, like at the uh, like at the like a, the dome IMAX, you know, where it's like three D without the glasses. Basically, they had like a NASCAR documentary, and I was like, "Oh, IMAX is cool." <laughs> and now it's like you know, it was kind of unheard of to just do IMAX. So Christopher Nolan, he's always ahead of the curve, even when he <laughs> is just kind of making it up. <laughs> um, a couple other things. This was a, and there was an online viral marketing campaign to promote the movie, uh, which you, I, you rarely see stuff like that today. And a couple things they had were, you know, you had a couple things called Why So Serious, obviously, Joker stuff, sharing pamphlets and other stuff for Harvey Dent's campaign for the DA. You got Joker modifications to them. Just like a really cool way to market your movie with the Joker in a way we haven't seen before. Uh, as far as box office stuff, uh, it opened in 4,366 4, theaters across the U.S., which was a record at the time. Broke the record for the largest opening weekend of all time at $158.4 And then it broke the record for reaching the $500 million mark faster than any movie any other movie after 45 days and was the first comic movie to make a billion dollars. So you're looking at all those movies making a billion dollars a few years ago. It was like, well, this is common. Well, it wasn't that common about 13 years ago or 15 years ago. It wasn't, um, but this yeah, it's, was the it's, first one to it's do funny. It. It's funny. I, I'm checking the highest person films of all time. And yeah, all the top 50 is a billion dollars. <laughs> and it's become so common. Uh, the Dark Knight's not even on it anymore. And I, I think back <laughs> in the day, like after the, at the end of 2008, I think it was like for its time, the third highest grossing film of all time, which is saying something. Yeah. Because I you, this was uh, 2008. So like that whole viral marketing, that, that was 2008 internet. You know, imagine back to, you know, 2008 YouTube or like 2008 Facebook or God, MySpace was still relevant back then. Yeah. I wasn't on either, oh, but... Man. Oh, That's man, the MySpace. time frame we're in. And you know, the housing the housing bubble was basically happening. So it was a <laughs> a fun time that 2008. 
Yeah, it was a couple other things. And this will kind of lead into some talk about its legacy. Uh, One of the things uh, this film did, of course, it had a lot of nominations for the Academy Awards. Uh, I forget how many nominations they got. But, uh, of course, Heath Ledger was posthumously uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And, of course, he won it. But this film was not included in the Best Picture category in the Academy Awards in 2009. But because of that great... snub. Oh, oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're going to say exactly what I'm about to say. Uh, the next year, yep. they expanded Best Picture from 5 to 10. Ye- exactly. They went from 5 to 10. And I believe a couple of films that were nominated that year, you had Up, a uh, little bit of a Pixar tease right there. I think the first Avatar movie was also Up in that year. And uh, uh, I really don't know if that film gets nominated. I mean, it might, you know, it's Cameron. So uh, it it really changed the way the Academy Awards were kind of run uh, and really kind of started to change here in the early uh, 2010s. Of course, this film, yeah. It's funny because when it came out, Roger Ebert's review flat out was like, yeah, this film should be nominated for Best Picture and nobody can tell me otherwise. It's like, damn, Ebert. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he, was, he, was, he was very kind to superhero movies for what it was worth, but like, for him to go flat out be like, yep, Best Picture nomination, make it happen. And the cabbage just like, oh, that's not good. We, we, we can't, we can't, uh, we gotta nominate the reader. Do you remember the oh. reader ride? Have you ever even heard of the reader? No. No. I haven't seen it, but I, I guarantee you it's not as good as Dark Knight. So I'm just retroactively 13 years later throwing that to the Academy. You know, I think I have an Ebert note on here somewhere in my notes. So uh, he might be coming back up here a little bit later. Uh, rest in peace, King. Uh, of course, this film joins some of the best sequels of all time. You got Empire Strikes Back, T2, uh, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. I'm going to add Winter Soldier in there. Yeah, fine. Uh, I guess we can add Top Gun Maverick to that now. Uh, oh, the the definitive one, Terminator Two, Judgment Day. Yep, I got that. Aliens, mm-hmm. uh, Spider Man Two, Mad Max Fury Road, and uh, Godfather Part Two. So, uh, I mean, that's bit of a that's stretch. a bit, bit of a stretch of Fury Road. That was the fourth one, but I I I'm, I can vibe with that logic. And, and and this is recent history. 2020, it was selected by the Library of Congress to be preserved in the National Film Registry and was regarded and is really regarded as one of the best films of the 2000s. And uh, we'll see how long it holds up as far as the century is concerned. But uh, look at that. One good thing to come out 2020 was that. Um, of course, Heath Ledger's Joker Trail, now considered one of the best cinematic films of all time. I've seen a couple lists where you have him up there, you have Hannibal Lecter up there, Darth Vader, of course, uh, where he's up there with all those villains. And 2022 Variety listed him as the best performance in a superhero film. And looking back on it 15 years later, theres I don't think there's really been anybody that's touched it quite really. Though there have, been, there have been several that have used his portrayal as kind of like an inspiration where Michael B. Jordan, when he was 
signing up to play Killmonger and Black Panther kind of cite this performance as an inspiration for what he would do as Killmonger. And then kind of the last couple things in which, you know, we get our, into our legacy talk. It really kind of changed the way people viewed these types of movies in a big way. Of course, with this and Iron Man, it really kind of changed the whole comic movie spectrum and what you thought about it. Uh, in 2018, which in which the Hollywood Reporter had this little retrospective uh, calling The Dark Knight, saying it, it's one of the films that taught filmmakers comic, comic book characters are malleable, uh, able to be grounded or fantastic, prestigious or pure blockbuster, dark, gritty, or light, a character driven or action-packed. And then uh, I think I'm getting into my Ebert note. So, yep, here he is again, <laughs> not too long after. Um, in 2008, he wrote The Dark Knight to a lesser degree Iron Man redefined the possibilities of the comic book movie. And you've had other studios and films trying to replicate this tone, going for the dark and gritty tone, uh, thinking that's the way to go. And I specifically have it in my notes, looking at you, Warner Brothers and DCEU. Uh, <laughs> I got to take a shot here at, as soon as it's over for the DCEU. Oh, but, um, I, I was literally going to say, like, I mean, fundamentally, it changed the approach DC had to its movies. They thought, oh, people want gritty and realistic. It's like, well, yeah, that works for yeah. Batman because it's the most sensible because he's the most grounded of anybody of the DC of, of the major ones, of course. But also, like, Nolan was going for a hyper-realistic version, as, you know, realistic as you can get. Like, you know, I've never seen documentaries around this time where they're like, oh, yeah, the Tumblr can exist in real life. This this concept can exist in real life. But it's like, you know, the film obviously has to push it because it's a movie, and sometimes we have to break reality. Right. But, like, I, I mean... <laughs> It's funny because two years before there was a, there's the, I will always argue this, the very underrated Superman Returns, which, you know, <laughs> works as, you know, a somewhat Christopher Reeve-y movie, even though it's, you know, the direct Christopher Reeve sequel with Brandon Roth. But, you know, it was yeah. kind of trying to go for a little more of a serious tone, but like nowhere near what The Dark Knight was going to do two years later. And like, I, I'm 100% convinced after that they were like, and see the box office return because Superman returns into that. Well, they're like, that's it. That's it. That's what we're going to do forever now, folks. It's always, always <laughs> going to work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Raj hit the nail on the head uh, when uh, he put that quote out there uh, about Dark Knight and Iron Man, because looking at it now, 15 years later, and you got people questioning if there's fatigue and stuff, you know, you got Marvel putting in all these projects. You now got the DCU getting started with, uh, with something. I think we mentioned we were going to talk about it up at the top, but kind of forgot, uh, some Superman news speaking of, but, uh, Oh, it's, it's going to be, it's not going to be relevant by the time this pot, this pod comes out. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, Looking at, it, at the way these two films affected the industry all these years later, it's kind of mind-boggling how much it's changed. Of course, Iron Man changed uh, everything, created a whole cinematic universe, one of the probably the most successful franchise in film history. I mean, our boy Feige is getting the star on the Hollywood uh, Walk of Fame because of it, and 
Dark Knight, it, it kind of changed the way you think about how these movies can be done. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you try to go the dark, gritty way. That's not the that's not the way to go if you want your films to be taken seriously like this one. But like, if you have a good story, compelling story, good characters that that are there in your story, and you know you trust your audience, like you are going to have a really good movie. If you take those things away from the Dark Knight, if you just take away the dark and gritty tone, the aspect of it, then you know that's all you have. So like, you've got to have those other story elements and character elements. And the way that, you know, they shot this film, of course, Nolan likes to do all the stuff practical. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just like, again, hardly a film 15 years later really kind of comes close to what this film accomplished and giving us an excellent story. Uh, A defendant Batman for a generation. You got one of the best filmmakers out here making a sequel and giving us one of the best performances not and also one of the best film performances ever and legend like it looking at it now like it's kind of hard for this film to be touched but it's really impacted how we view these types of films and like these films can be something more mm-hmm. you know we talk about the concept of i think going back to you know the batman where like at the end he's like you know i need to be something more well this film was something more than just the comic book type of film that a lot of people thought it was. You know, it became something more. I, I don't know how to say this without coming off as that pretentious guy, but I think it's the <laughs> only way to say this. You know, Raimi, Spider-Man, and Spider-Man 2 are wonderful, excellent movies that I love to death and will always love. But, like, they're presented in a more blockbuster movie kind of way. Where, like, they're taking it seriously right. and respecting it, but, like, for the most part, they're just here, like it's 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 a guy who gets bit by a spider and does spider stuff. Let's let's calm down here. And but Nolan is just like he's literally looking at this whole mythos as like a, a thing that is real. And he's like, okay, how how do we make it appear real? And Batman Begins laid that groundwork for him to like kind of experiment and like kind of maybe gain a good idea because I I don't think even with Nolan and I have a love-hate relationship with, especially with his last couple movies, but I'm still looking forward to Oppenheimer, obviously, because Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I don't think there's any version of Nolan, I feel like even he would admit, like, he couldn't have made this as his first go-around. Like, there's just, no. you, you have to, mm-hmm. like, you have to, like, really play with the idea of, like, this type of Batman before really going into it. But, like, once he did that, I was like, okay, I know this can work. And the funniest thing is he's he's got a record like it sounds crazy, especially if you know Batman begins ending with you know, hey, we have another guy. Look, he leaves a Joker card around. What could that mean, Batman? <laughs> he was like, they didn't know what the sequel was gonna be. They weren't even committed to Joker. They were just like, I mean, we gotta end it somehow. What's the most Batman thing to end it? A Joker card. Yeah. But just like how he approaches, like, okay, I can do Batman in this very serious tone. What about a villain? And like, the Joker was the most obvious pick and the funniest thing is uh there's always the controversy of these batman castings you know back in the day keaton you know it's the most 80s thing ever people were writing physical actual letters to warner <laughs> brothers like what the 
wrong with you? Michael Keaton, you jagoffs. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I, I don't think Bale got hate when he was cast in, what, 04, 03? At least not to my knowledge. Yeah. Like, I, I know Ledger from the, from the historical side looking into it, like, people were like, you know, the guy from Brokeback Mountain and Night's Tale, like, this is a terrible casting decision. <laughs> but Nolan just, you know, that Batman Begins, its importance is going to be, it laid, you know, obviously the story and sequel groundwork for the Dark Knight, but like, also how that version of Batman could work in a way where someone like Nolan and how he approaches film could, you know, just take it that one step further and make, you know, a film that 15 years later we're just gushing and loving over every every day. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Ledger casting at the time was not thought of as great. And now we talk about him in reverence when talking about his performance as the Joker, in which he pulls off a Joker performance. I mean, of course, he had previous Joker performances like most notably Jack Nicholson's in 89, but this took it to another level. And going back to that realism part, it, you know, you got the Joker and like he has all these quotes and sayings that he says throughout the film. And it's like, well, Grant, th this is like dangerously towards a couple of things going on in the world and, you know, still going on today. We're like, you're worried about, uh, you know, any Joker bros out there is like, you know, he's got a point with all this anarchy and chaos and all this stuff. Um, but it's just a testament to how good of a performance he had in this run where like, and I think that was one thing uh, with the marketing campaign that, that was that the central thing was, okay. A lot of people don't believe Heath as the Joker. Well, let's show this viral marketing campaign featuring the Joker a lot. And let's show him, Hey, you guys you want to buckle up. You're in for a ride here. And then, uh, sadly, of course, he, he didn't get to see most of the film. I think I heard he got to see the the first few minutes of it uh, in post-production. So he at least got to see that. But, I mean, just the way he – just like some little subtle movements. You know, I'm thinking about in the scene with the mob in which you got somebody that, you know – says he's a freak and you can kind of see his mouth twitch a little bit and then when one of them calls him a freak he's like i'm not i'm not you know i don't know if you know i i don't think i can do the joker imp impersonation <laughs> right i mean i could do the batman brother but i'm, I'm not gonna do ledger i can't <laughs> i can't go that far uh but um i mean yeah th this performance i mean it was a performance of a lifetime and it's, you know, we got some categories here and one of them's a what if, but it's like a, what if, you know, he hadn't passed away tragically, what would have been his career afterwards? Um, I imagine he probably still would, he might've still won it, uh, the sporting actor. Um, but yeah, I imagine of course we'll get into probably dark Knight rises. He might've been in it. But it's just a, a a crazy performance that he put on that is going to live on uh, forever. 
And uh, I think if we want to move on, let's talk about some of our best and favorite scenes. And, you know, we can kind of differentiate because I imagine we got well, what scenes are the best, but we got some that are our favorites. Uh, so I have a few on my list and we, we can add some to that if you have any. Uh, of course, the opening robbery scene uh, has got to be on there, taking some inspiration from various films like Heat which I imagine, Peter, as a film bro, you probably have seen Heat. Um, oh, that, that that's a beginner film bro film for sure. <laughs> um, so that scene is on there. Uh, the Joker and the mob scene, I think, is on there. Uh, maybe the Batman getting loud in Hong Kong is on there. The Joker party appearance. Uh, the chase scene with the uh, Bat Pod and the 18-wheeler. Uh, we're going to get into is just how insanely awesome that is. Uh, you got any others you want to add? I mean, the, the terrible thing is almost everything in this film is just so great and memorable. Like I, I remember when I was coming back from Los Angeles where uh, I went to the Warner Brothers uh, studio tour and one of the last sections is like, there's this big DC thing you can tour and Keith Ledger's screen used, uh, uh, Joker gear is there. I'm just staring at it like that. There it is. That's that's the Joker. That that was the Joker. I, I mean, literally, I, I vividly remember seeing that whole ending where you know Harvey's holding Gordon's family hostage. Batman has to you know break his one rule. The coin lands, uh, symbolizing that you know uh, young 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 Gordon's life would have been spared. And you know we get that whole sequence of like oh. Joker won, yada yada. And Batman's just like, nope, I'll do it. And Jim <laughs> Gordon just, you know, maniacally like a Christopher Nolan character does, goes into the soliloquy, and it's just like he's he's not a hero. He's a watchful protector, a dark knight. It's like this, like this is, this is a stupid Batman movie. <laughs> what on earth happens? <laughs> I, I think that's an obvious one. Uh, one for me, I think a lot of people overlook that. I just love is uh, it's kind of a two parter. It's when Batman is pushed to the to the limit to find the Joker. You know, he takes Alfred's advice to the the nth degree of you know, like we got to burn down the forest. So he takes uh, Lucius's uh, sonar technology that he used in uh, Hong Kong. And he's like amplifies and spying the whole city. And Lucius like this this is wrong, Bruce. What is wrong with you? It's like you're the only one I trust to do it. It's no encrypted to you. He's like, I'll do it this once, but I'm. Uh, I'm I'm quitting when I'm done. Batman just like when you're done typing your name. It's like, huh? Okay, that's uh, that's hardcore. And I just <laughs> will always love the ending where, as Gordon's you know talking to his son about you know why Batman's got to do this yada yada, we see Lucius type in his name, and you know the whole thing starts to self destruct. And I was like, even when Batman is pushed to the limit, he still knows he has to you know, make this right at the very end. And you know we get that smile from Lucius. So I was like. It's just a, it's it's a small thing. It's like yes, Batman is human. He can be pushed to the limit. I mean, I got all the comics in the world up here to you know prove that <laughs> nine nine hundred times over. But like at the end of the day, like he still is a good man, even when he has to go to that dark place, as you know, burning down the forest. So I just love. It's just the film is full of those details, and honestly, anything with Harvey Dent after he gets burnt is wonderful we, we 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 will gush over heath ledger a lot in this pod for sure and i it's rightfully so 
but do not underestimate Aaron Eckhart in his because like like Heath, he is introduced as his character in here and he has to sell, you know, both sides of the coin, like two face, yeah, two faces character is, you know, there is there was the good, then it becomes the bad. And he is he is phenomenal in this film. Yeah, I think that that his performance might be one of my things on what aged the best and looking at his performance like oh, you got Joker's and Ledger's powerhouse performance, but Eckhart does a really great job as Two Face and Harvey Dent too. Um, I, I go as far as to say like he what he Ledger should have absolutely won Best Supporting Actor. There was no doubt in my mind, but I think his I think his fellow co-star Aaron should have been nominated right there with him. I think that was. Mm. A phenomenal performance because when he becomes Two Face proper, he is—he's terrifying. He's selling that anger to the nth degree. When he's, you know, angry at Ramirez, when he's angry at the the dirty cops, when he's angry at McConey, uh, oh, holding Gordon's family hostage, like he is—it's terrifying because <laughs> he sold he sold the good, you know, White Knight at the beginning so well. And to like see him go that route because of the death of Rachel. Spoiler, but my major spoilers for a 15-year-old film that is culturally <laughs> significant, by the way, if you've made it this far. Rachel! <laughs> I mean, everything he's doing after that is just so engrossing to watch. And and of course, you know, when we get those two together in the hospital, when Joker basically just finally converts him, you know, he knows what a he knows what one bad day looks like. And he's seeing it in two faces. He's like, listen, buddy, you're part of my idea. And I, I'm going to need you on this one. <laughs> also, thing to point out there, how could, uh, how could, I know Harvey had half his face burned off. How could you not tell that was Joker underneath the mask? <laughs> <laughs> he was waking up, you know. Let's be real. I need like five minutes to collect my bearings when I wake up. No, I'm just saying, like, you see the white make, you see the white paint on his face. I'm like, Oh, I wonder who could this could be. And like takes off the mask and like, oh, it was the Joker. <laughs> He's in Gotham. You know, that nurse could have been a lady of the night before, but you know, she has the day job as a nurse. You never know. <laughs> it's uh, one of those cities. I, I will tell you not not to step on, you know, categories, but one of the things that aged the worst was, you know, that whole thing with the phones. Uh <laughs> <but> <laughs> Uh, I mean that that seems like it's a very real thing today. Um, but uh, I think you, you, and going some some of these scenes. Um, of course the robbery scene, a really good opening. Um, and, you know I don't think I realized at the time, but like it was a mob bank, mm-hmm. and and so like that's kind of a subtle way Gotham is kind of showing up. Uh throughout these films like uh it's a mob bank that they're robbing uh the joker the mob um that scene is just really great where you really kind of understand the joker now you know let's not blow this out of proportions everybody um Mm -hmm. but uh that's great Uh, and the joker party appearance this is going to step on something a little bit later but i had been doing the research during the rehearsal for this scene Michael Caine actually forgot his lines when he saw Ledger's Joker. And that was the first time he's ever forgotten his lines in his career. Was in that instance. It was like, Michael Caine forgot his lines? But I guess if you're like seeing 
Ledger's Joker is like, you know, fair. (laughs) I mean, you could tell the man was just exuding what that character wanted to get out or uh, showcase in that film. So, like, again, it's not every day when a legend like Michael Payne is like, this man's acting, acting. (laughs) And, uh, but that scene is just great. You know, you want to know how I got these scars? Uh, which, uh, <laughs> you know, it kind of, I'm thinking back to the Joker movies, like, well, we know the Joker is an unreliable narrator and, you know, mm-hmm. those lines point out. And then the chase scene, well, probably one of the best cha- chase scenes that we've had here in years. Um, it just escalates to an unbelievable level and you got one of the drivers kind of basically narrating. He's like, wait, does this guy got a bazooka? um it it, it's just one of those it's the only like late 2000s use of a truck being flipped over that has aged well because almost every action film i think of that time was doing something where a truck flips over but like castell just asked nicely he's like hey say chicago can i shut down your streets and you know uh flip a truck over at the night like yeah sure that won't cause too much of a headache like a nascar race would we would never do that I think I, I read that uh, they were trying to go for something smaller, and Nolan was like, "Okay, fine." Uh, but then he came to a realization, like, "Nah, we got to use the eighteen wheeler." <laughs> I, I, I guess you could say something that didn't age well, like you know, yeah, the fire truck's blocking the primary lane, but like, could have just gone through the other lane, or like you know, turn. Like, I mean, yeah, you don't gotta go into the lower level. <laughs> But they're Gotham PD. They're they're pretty stupid, so it makes sense. Joker, but the, oh, crap, they went down. They went down the wrong lane. <laughs> but that's but that sequence where the Batmobile gets messed up and just he's he has again. This you give this man prep time or all the where he thinks everything through. He's like, well, I guess I have to turn this uh, part into a motorcycle now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, like, come it, on, Batman. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, of course the the truck flipping over—that's just great, you know. Like the, he missed, <laughs> and then we get the hit me, hit me, wow, which is great. And then we get, the, of course, the reveal. J- James Gore in this film. I said in my uh, Batman review a year ago that this was uh, the Batman had the best James Gordon. This film reminds you, like, yo, Gary Oldman was out of his mind in this film. Like he's straight up, like, okay. <laughs> Batman, here's my plan. I'm not gonna tell my wife and kids, but I'm gonna fake my death, and we're gonna and then we're gonna draw him out that way. And Batman's just like, that's so sick. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you, that's what those two are talking about. <laughs> Wait, you're gonna do what? Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, Gordon's good in, in this one, although. You know, there are some parts of this, like, okay, how does Joker know this is going to happen? That's going to happen. Like, well, okay, well, how did Gordon do all this stuff? But, you know, I think film, you just kind of, you know, forget about it a little bit. Film plan, film, every single film plot is a cesspit of nitpicks and, like, plot holes. Like, there, there's, never, yeah. there's never going to be a that's plot right. line that's completely tied up. It's on the film, though, to make you so engrossed in the film that you just completely either forgive it or you don't notice it. Because, like, when a film is not working 
that's when you start noticing everything that's going wrong or stuff that doesn't make sense. But like, you know, a, a five seven three classic, The Last Jedi. You know, for me <laughs> watching it the first time, I, it was a terrible, nightmarish experience. So every <laughs> little plot hole just became you know a problem. Where the Matt Mormons of the world who enjoy it were just like, I I didn't even notice that or think that was a problem. So like, there there is that there is such a thing as a disconnect where two things can be true. It's just really how much for the general audience or the majority of people watching it was it just like yeah i don't even care that the joker's plan is very stupid and convenient and vice vice versa with batman james gordon's little mini plan right there again we we could we could get into all the weird technical details like he's like joker how do you know you're gonna be captured at this exact moment being this exact interrogation scene I have a good, you know, I agree with you, Batman's probably going to be there to beat the hell out of you, but like, you know, the, the bomb's going to go off in the sky at that exact time, and Batman, of course, is going to be going for, you know, Rachel or Harvey. Yeah. It's like, trust me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just pulls up the script, like, I got the script. <laughs> no one's like, wait, what? um but uh i mean th there's so many good scenes in this movie it like call back to what you said like there's so much good in this movie so many good scenes i think for me if i had to pick what's probably i guess if i'm going back to what 13 year old me thought probably my favorite's the opening robbery scene just seeing all these guys get murdered Uh, but, uh, but honestly, it, it, looking back later, throwing out that, you know, childish sense of me being 13 years old, it, that opening robbery scene does set the tone for what this film is going to be and Ledger's Joker and uh, what we're going to see out of him. Um, uh, you know what? I, I will say definitively, if I had to put my money out, the best scene in this movie is that final fight with the henchmen in that building to get to the Joker. It's where batman figures out you know the the most brilliant part of the joker's plan is that you know he has the hostages disguised as the gunmen that the snipers are pointed at and the hostages mm -hmm. are actually the gunmen and like he realizes that as the attacks about to start he's like okay well i got to save the hostages now as the cops come in but i can't kill the cops or seriously hurt them because you know i'm technically on their side so it becomes just this wonderful like song and dance where batman is just you know saving the hostages from getting shot stopping the gunmen from doing their thing getting the cops out of the way but not killing and like it's and like the score is just absolutely that piano was on fire let's let's just say that it, it, it's that meme if you've seen it <laughs> oh hans zimmer course, was just on one. Oh, hans zimmerman was just given chris nolan came into that room and was just like hans here's a here's a blank check I don't know what that means for music production, but do your thing and be like, <laughs> watch me, fam, watch me. Because, I mean, the, the score when, like, uh, it's at the moment where the SWAT team has come up to the elevator and they're pointing the guns at the hostage, like, get down, get down, Batman's just, like, coming in. He's just taking their guns out. And, like, that score, that's just, like, those notes are just so, yeah. uh, they're, they're so wonderful and of course, at the very end where he succeeds, you know, he's tying the rope around him the whole time. So, like, when the SWAT corners him, he just, like, throws him off. But, of course, they're <laughs> safe and just floating. There's, like, <laughs> this man, 
this 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 absolute maniac in the span of five seconds he went there thinking like okay here are the here are the gunmen i'm gonna take them out real quick it's like uh-oh uh lucius this ain't good and the next thing you know swat coming he's like all right batman time <laughs> <laughs> like that man is just he is sick but beautifully sick uh, that's probably the best description of Batman, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Batman needs therapy in the worst way. <laughs> it's basically just Wonder Woman and Superman after a day with him. They're just like, why? <laughs> oh, um, Hera, help us all. <laughs> uh, if I had to pick a scene, oh man, it's tough because again, all never good. I think I'm going to go between, it's between the Joker party appearance and the chase scene. It's between those two. I can't go wrong with either one of them. No. Um, you know what? I will go with the Joker party appearance because it's kind of going to lead into one of what's age the best, uh, the Hans Zimmer score. Um, mm. Going back to that. I mean, because you get kind of the Joker's theme where it's just like, it's so unnerving. Mm. It's just like, oh, crap. It, it makes you feel uncomfortable in like the best way possible. It is almost chalkboard on the nails and like, because the crazy thing that I don't think people realize about filmmaking is the score is done like literally at the very end. Like the film has been completely edited and they're just like, Hans, here's the two and a half hours. Do your thing. We'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs> it's like obviously a great composer like Hans Zimmer, of course, is going to be watching that film intently and seeing Heath Ledger's acting. It's like, all right, Heath, rest in peace. I got you on this one, fam. Just, you know, pulls up garage band or whatever <laughs> he's that talented he can make anything work oh uh, that's true I, I i don't want to get too ahead because i don't know like if we're going to be talking about joker's plan at any moment i mean we kind of touched on it like you know yes it's ridiculous and there's there's some plot holes you can point out i think one of the brilliant things that comes from that party scene is when he when he just instinctively realizes that there is something between batman and uh Rachel, because he never finds out Bruce Wayne is Batman. That's never a that's never a plot point. And yeah. To be honest, like the whole you know he he wants him to take off the mask. Yeah. Which I've always kind of I always kind of thought like that's just you know to get his attention, but like the brilliant part of that whole sequence and you know the aftermath of the truck scene is you know when he's taunting him in the interrogation room, and as he's telling him where they're located, it, it's it's kind of a not not necessarily a blink and you miss it because you're obviously you're obviously having to hear it, but you know, I mean, yeah, is when he says where the locations are and uh, Gordon's like, "Where are you going?" It's like, "I'm getting Rachel," and of course, where what he thought was Rachel's location turns out to be uh, Harvey Dent, and that's you know the great yeah. again that that mask is the mask is not a hundred percent great for acting at times, but like in that moment you could tell like that is just a defeated that's not batman at that point that is a defeated bruce wayne realizing that rachel is going to die because there's no way the cops can rescue in her time like he can't which is the greatest part of the joker plan like, he knows something's there so he's basically like okay you're either going to choose love or gotham but in reality it's the opposite and you're going to be punished with the opposite i just yeah it again you know the great thing about Batman, you know, actually, this kind of works now when I'm like, you know, in the span of five seconds, Batman realizes, uh oh, 
the hostages, <laughs> the gunmen, the hostages are the gunmen, or you know, that whole thing. And now the SWAT's coming in, and literally the SWAT comes in, he's like, Batman time. You know, people will always say correctly, the greatest foil to Batman has been the Joker. Because like Batman, the Joker's so fast on his feet. You know, he's just kind of showcasing that room. He knows somehow, some way Batman's gonna be there. And when he sees that, he's like, okay, something, something's up here. This is a uh, Lois Lane, Clark Kent, Superman type of situation. Yeah. And just, you he, know, it, it's the greatest chess match ever. But yeah. there's just no way Batman can, you know, ever, ever uh, account for the Joker's next move. No. And, you know, I think looking back at that choice between Love and Gotham, you know, Joker kind of catches – Bruce and Batman kind of being a little bit selfish there and being selfless and like saying, I'm going to go for love here instead of Gotham. The whole reason why I'm doing this thing is for Gotham and I'm going to choose love instead. Oh, one more thing with the death of Rachel. Uh, obviously there was a recasting of Katie Holmes to Maggie Gyllenhaal, who to be completely honest, I wish we had Maggie Gyllenhaal from the beginning. I, she's a fantastic yeah. actress. Because I, I don't think people forget, because when she's having to hear, you know, because she's, she's completely aware if Batman's being given a choice, he's coming for her. But she knows in her mind, like, Harvey's the one you got to save for Gotham's sake. Because she's mm-hmm. like, I because, I, you know, Harvey's like, I, they're coming for you. It's like, I know they are, but I don't want them to. It's like, that's so painful to, like, hear. <laughs> but of course, you know, there's the, there's the switcheroo. And what people don't remember is she probably thought that Bruce had read the letter. So in her mind, she may have been thinking in her last moments, Bruce was mad at me for like choosing Harvey over him. So like, this is his way of getting back to me, which, you know, of course, Alfred never gets the letter. Like, it's just, there's so many little things going on in that just one section that, you know, yeah, just kind of a part of this movie, but like everything has built up to it. And now, like, we're going to get the, and, like, everything after it's going to be referencing it. Like, it's just, it, it is truly a good movie where, like, A happens, so B happens, so C happens. But that's because there was A that led to B into C. Like, it's, everything's calling back to each other. Like, you, if you watch this intently or, you know, multiple times over the years as I have to a very <laughs> sick extent, like, nothing gets lost in years, like, Chris Nolan and uh, hold on, David Goyer, right? Yeah, yep. Like those two were just this. They they were they were just showing off at the, at that point. <laughs> yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, the whole um, the in the Rachel casting with uh, Maggie. That that's probably something that's aged the best too. Like I'm with you there. Like have her right, have her in begins. And just go from there. Uh, we mentioned Eckhart already. I already thought, yeah, th- like you said, he could have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor along with Heath in that role. And just like the switch that he has to do in that film is just like, you, you, quite literally, you got to turn on, on a dime, not to make a coin joke or anything, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he literally has to in his performance and how he is he's got to portray that white knight quality that a lot of people think he is in gotham and what bruce sees he, him as and then you gotta make that change of like oh uh, well yeah the one bad day thing that's a real thing 
Um, and so I think he does a really great job in just like being able to do that. Uh, I think another thing that's HBS, you know, cinematography and the the practical mm-hmm. stuff. We always we we tease Nolan for the practical stuff. Like we teased him with Oppenheimer's, like I'm going to build the actual atomic bomb, everybody, and uh, and recreate it. But I think you know, for something like this, the practical stuff is what makes this film. You know, going back to the whole 18 wheeler scene, you know, today that might be something that's CGI'd a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you know, in 2008, Nolan's like, no, we got to do this practically. Um, so I think you know the cinematography and the practical effects that they have here uh, really stand out as well. Really, the cinematography in Batman films like this and the Batman. I mean, just stand out completely well. Um, you know, the story-wise, you know, when Nolan and Goyer, um, they just knocked it out of the park with this Joker story that they had. I don't know what the other story they had. I don't know what it was. I think there's another one. But uh, it's hard to imagine that it would uh, it would top this, you know. I, I mean, I feel like for the in-universe realism, you know, it would have to be something like a Riddler type of level, or like a Hush type of level, because you can you can't really have Mister Freeze in this universe. Although, like for right. the Nolan verse, that would have just begged for a a clearly great story. But you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, our our hope is with Matt Reeves, of course. Now, yes, <laughs> I, I will say the thing that has aged the well, like you know, it was it was perfect at the time, clearly, because we got all the awards for it, but seeing what's happened since with the joker like just the i i mean you know we shouldn't even speak about it, but the jared little performance oh the, no no the, no 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 the, no the, the very the very good joaquin phoenix obviously and you know now we have uh barry kogan who is again we, we can't go too into because it, it was literally a deleted scene and you know the only scene in the movie was you know like two minutes yeah, but it, it just it just comes off as you know, a kind of uh, Ledger esque performance. And what Ledger did well was there was a lot of the previous Jokers in that performance. You know, the the laugh really harkens back, even to you know the Adam West Cesar, uh, Cesar Romero laugh. Mm-hmm. There's some yeah. good Jack Nicholson performances there. Like, there's even some Mark Hamill stuff in there. But like, it truly is his own but still paying tribute to the idea of what the Joker should be. And that's what I appreciate because every, everything since has just been, you know, Ledger to like a different degree. Ledger, you know, obviously uh, Leto's was cringed. Keegan is just, you know, trying too hard. Joaquin, I'll give credit for, it was a little more, I guess, kind of sad, you know, feel sorry type of deal. Yeah, Which I don't. I still don't think works, but you know that's again that's that's another film. I don't want to get too into it. <laughs> but just I, I mean everything. The, the great thing about this performance or this this Joker per se is is that there clearly was that one bad day, and he wants people to have it. But he, I think his reasoning for like doing all of this is just his one bad day had to involve some sort of horrible hypocrisy. And that's just like, that just eats at him. Cause you know, his big thing is he, he wants Batman. The big thing. I, I, again, that's why I said earlier, uh, the whole, you know, take off the mask. Wasn't really the point. 
you know, that's what the mob wanted, of course. But Joker, you know, he was just using the mob to get for his end. Right. I truly, I truly believe that the Joker just did not like seeing Batman be this, you know, kind of, you know, by the books to an extent hero. And he's just like, you, you, you got to do it. You got to break your one rule. And of course, the one rule is he's never going to kill anybody. Which is why when he's speeding at him, like the Joker's not even moving. He's just like, he's just shooting around <laughs> him. He's not trying to kill Batman. He's like, I want you to do it, buddy. I want you to do it. I want you to just murder me. <laughs> and there's that great horrifying scene where like, when they're on the roof and, you know, Batman throws the Joker off, the Joker's just maniacally, la- you know, he says earlier, in their, in their final moments, people show you who they really are. And in the Joker's final moments as he perceived it, he was like, I did it. I absolutely did it. I got this idiot to kill me. It's just, <laughs> it's it's so weirdly, it, it's, it's terrifying, of course, but in a weird way, it's like the most beautiful just storyline and character ever because it yeah. can be that, but you're still just like, that was brilliant. And of course, you know, <laughs> his ultimate plan, which easily could have been the ending, you know, both fairies blowing up because you know the stakes the the great thing about the ending is the stakes are very localized to those two fairies it's not you know oh i'm gonna blow up the whole city it's like okay we we know you're not gonna do that we have there's there's clearly gonna be another movie yada yada it's like like it could have worked for dark knight rises in a weird way because that we knew that was going to be the end but for here like yeah you could absolutely just blow up a boat of civilians or or uh prisoners and now like it works. It 100% works. Like that's where the, all the tension's coming from. But, but again, just Joker's main plan is just like, I want Batman to do it. And, you know, even though he's not there to see it, he has to do it in the end. And, of course, the, the greatest scene, I think probably, the, in a weird way, maybe the most encapsulating scene of the movie is as Batman saves Gordon's son, and that means Harvey has to fall to his death, the coin lands clean symbolizing if harvey saw it he'd be like well i gotta spare your son (laughs) yeah um i think one other age the best i think i'm gonna have here is i in in preparation for this uh, i heard somebody bring it up you know you got scarecrow uh cillian murphy uh pop back up early on this one and the way it's brought up you know it's kind uh, of kind of a nice subtle reference to like uh, a universe here you know like think about what we all see today with trying to build up universes you know and it's just kind of like a nice subtle way to kind of build up your universe and like it's not overstretching it but it's like yeah scarecrow's still here you know there's still mm-hmm. bad some of batman's villains here um so i think uh that's one thing that is aged the best uh i guess getting the age of works here real quick uh, I don't know how I feel about the voice. Won't be long. Oh, it's th- there are times like when he's talking to Lucius. When I harken back to that scene, I, I think is very underrated. Like he's doing the voice, but like you, you're doing that voice when you don't want people to know you're Bruce Wayne. Like, yeah, Lucius Fox, out of everyone, he knows you're Batman. Yeah. through and through like he's he's, he's been your <laughs> homie since day one bruce yeah, it's like the like, joker harvey thing right i'm almost <laughs> just like why does lucius not just be like 
Bruce, what's wrong with you? I I, I know it's you. <laughs> I know you're Batman. Come on now. <laughs> and like when he's trying to save uh, Gordon's son, it's just like it's like to the like it's almost too extreme. It's like pull it back a bit. Yeah. Like it, um, it, it didn't work in Batman Begins, and it just kind of amazed me they doubled down here. Like, unless it was just in Nolan's mind, like, it was just too late to change. Like, we're stuck with it. Well, so in my notes I have here that Bale kept the same voice from Begins. Uh, but Nolan in post-production had edited it down to be a, a grittier, rougher sound. So I, I guess that might be the reason why we have this meme of this Batman voice from Bale and and, and this one in Rises where we just constantly make fun of it. So I think we have Nolan to thank for that. Um, <laughs> so that's, I think one thing that's aged the worst is probably the voice, you know, I think it was fine in begins probably could have kept it. Um, so that's probably up there. The whole phone thing with the plan with the plan with Lucius at the end. Um, you, you know, I just think, yeah, you, you know, surveillance and all that stuff. Now you no can do it with an app. <laughs> it doesn't have to be this weird sonar thing. It's just like you see an app for it. Batman's like, wait, what? <laughs> you tell me I don't need to build on this whole thing. I can just get an app. <laughs> I think uh, a couple other things that uh, probably, a I think probably in some other people's minds is, you, you know, uh, well, no, I was gonna say something else, but I think if we... I, I I don't know if this would be really falling under age the wars, but I feel like if I had to give any criticism, like up until you know the mob is basically like, okay, let's hire the Joker. He seems confident. Like the film is kind of just kind of meandering in a weird way. Like mm. we have the great introduction with the Joker, and then he does ha then he has the mob scene, but like. The whole Laos storyline, if you're not really paying attention to it, you're kind of not going to be aware of what, what's going on or, like, why this even matters. Like, it's, you know, literally, this, this one guy controls the mob's money, yada, yada. He's gone rogue because, you know, Gotham PD wants to arrest him. And there's just all these weird things. So it's just, like, it doesn't feel like it belongs in the film. Because even when Joker finds the money in Lao, like, you know, it's not yeah. a big thing. Like, they don't even, like, Again, Lau is in like the extreme upper corner, about to be burned to death on this <laughs> pile of money. Like it, 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 it's it's weird how the first forty minutes, that whole storyline doesn't really pay off. In, in a way, it's kind of just thrown away. But by then, the Joker has taken control of the film, so like it doesn't need to. No. And like again, again, literally, once the mob's like, "Well, I guess we gotta hire this clown." Like it, it's just it's insane because a couple scenes later in the mayor's office you got the the Batman vigilante just you know his body his noosed body that's crashing into the mayor's window it's just and you're like oh here comes the film <laughs> uh, yeah uh, I, I think I don't have anything else to say to worse you know the whole yeah the whole Lao and mob thing I mean yeah. It, oh. it, can I retroactively add something to the great scene list? Sure. Uh, the Joker's the Joker's steady cam of you know killing the uh, the vigilante Batman is just terrifying. <laughs> like you, you could almost say 
that is the Joker introduction. Like the the bank robbery was great, the the mob stuff was great, but like that is like okay, this is gonna be our Joker. And That's a Joker introduction absolute... to the public. Exactly, and like. But like from here on out, that's the Joker for the film. So strap yourselves in, and he does not let up. <laughs> you know, I think I read that uh, Heath actually directed that scene. I think the, the ones with the handheld camera. Camera. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, props to him. Um, I guess let's move on to what ifs, and there are some really compelling ones. Some what ifs and some other facts about the film. So, so I'm going to start with Harvey. Um, there's some actually there there's a lot for both Harvey and Joker. Uh so for Harvey, there's a few names up there. Josh Lucas, Liev Schreiber, who for the comic book fans know him as Sabretooth from the uh, Wolverine Origins film. Oh, that's right. Mark Ruffalo, which mm. which I, I honestly don't know. It, He's got yeah. a weirdness to him, and I've seen his serious stuff. But like for for this Joker, that would be an interesting stretch. Oh no, for Harvey. Oh, for Harvey, for Harvey. Okay, that I can see. And uh, a couple others. Hugh Jackman was a name I've seen mentioned, which of course he's got the Nolan connection. I think um, that Prestige, he filmed yep. the he filmed the Prestige in between like two years earlier. Yeah, so knows him and then matt damon uh apparently was the first choice from nolan <laughs> really because oh, it's it's funny because i i'd always heard uh i guess somebody in the produce production team near nolan he, he they saw uh a very underrated move from aaron eckhart uh thank you for smoking where he is just yeah flat out acting like a maniac and I, that was kind of like that's basically his wit his in yeah. <laughs> um, so it would have been different with Damon as Harvey, I, I think. I, I don't know. I don't know if I can see him or Ruffalo in, in, in that part. Um, I could see Shriver as more of the two face uh side of things. Um so those are some what ifs to the inside doors to the two face casting. Now for Joker, he wouldn't ledger all along. But there are some other actors up for the role. Paul Bettany, who we uh, know as Vision. Steve Carell, which I I, I don't know how that would have worked. Yeah, Steve Carell has done some good serious work. Like, I don't think at the time maybe he was ready, but it's not as crazy as it sounds. You know, it might have been a thing if, uh, you know, you take a look at now, maybe it could have, you know, happened, but. I'm going to say that was what around the time of a four year old virgin and stuff like that that he was in. And yeah, so. it was like a good six years away from Foxcatcher where he kind of played a Joker esque character. So it's probably a little bit too early. Uh, Robin Williams, which I think I'd heard about this before. He, uh, he was supposed to be Riddler for the third Burton movie. I know that was a, a plan. Okay. And, and again, Robin Williams, again, good, great comedian, great comedic legend, but when he had to be serious, he was honestly one of the best at it. So 
I get, I just feel like at that point, he's a little too old to play the Joker. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Brody. That's another one. Mm. Kind of is, I feel like he was in the process of being blacklisted at that point. Like, I, I think at that point, his fame got to his head a bit. I think Hollywood was trying to take him down a couple pegs. <laughs> and uh, another name, Ryan Felipe, who was also up for Captain America and uh, lost it and lost it out, uh, of course, to Evans. Um, he and Krasinski both lost it out to uh, Chris and uh, he loses this one, the Joker. I mean, it's, it's kind of reminding me of the Nicholas Holt thing that's going on right now where he was the runner up for the Batman and uh, Reeves film. And he was the runner up for the new Superman. It's like, <laughs> it's it's kind of like a, this guy missed out on Joker and Captain America. Just like thinking like, Ryan Felipe, what have you done since? <laughs> uh, so I think that's all the names. I did read somewhere else that apparently came down to Ledger, uh, Hugo Weaving, and Sam Rockwell. Um, I, don't oh. know, I, I don't know if that's completely true, but I mean, we both know to those actors that but uh but it was all it was ledger only what ledger and it happened came to be and we got a powerhouse performance uh so now we're on to the facts part of it i think that's all the casting what ifs so there's some interesting facts about this so only for the specific version of the film that we got it, he had to get that across to the cast somehow uh so he put together a screening list of films that they would watch two of on the first four days of production. So they didn't film anything. They just watched these films. And the films were Heat, which we mentioned before, uh, mm-hmm. Cat People, Sis and Kane, of course, you know about that, King Kong, the 1933 version. Of course, Batman Begins. Got to put that on there. <laughs> uh, Black Sunday, A Clockwork Orange, and Stalag 17, I hope I didn't butcher the title there, but those are the films that they watch in the first four days of production to kind of get everybody in the mindset of what this film would be. Uh, so I am I might ask film Peter here, it, can, can you see why? Black Sunday's a fun one because literally the plot is just like they want to blow up a Goodyear blimp over an NFL stadium. Like that's just... <laughs> kind of a wild one <laughs> but it, it makes sense because uh you know if if the whole uh if the whole joker was a uh soldier theory is to believe because that was like kind of the famous you know third how i got my scar story like he yeah the soldier aspect you know and that in the film the the guy who wants to blow up the blimp over the nfl stadium was a uh deranged vietnam pow who had like severe ptsd he's like i that the more I talk myself that I talk myself into, I'm like, okay, that's that as clockwork oranges, you know, it's to the T. That's so obvious. He really, I mean, again, it's really just for the beginning, kind of. Well, there's there's a crazy killer in that one too. Citizen Kane's a bit of a stretch. What were the other what were the other three? Uh you had cat people, you had King Kong, uh, and then Stalag 17. Stalag 17. I've never seen Cat People. Uh, obviously, I've seen King Kong. 
and Stalag 17. Oh, Prisoner. Oh, POW movie. So, okay. A lot of, lot of POW stuff coming up here. So, well, again, we, we know Heath Ledger in preparation. He locked himself in his, uh, a room a couple times just to, you know, like, really get into that mindset. So, maybe that's how he took it. Like, oh, okay, I got you, Chris. I'm going to go put myself in a foxhole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, then we got some comic book influences on the mm -hmm. film. And, Peter, I imagine you know... A lot of the influences here. I have some Bring listed, but I'm gonna let I'm I'm clearing out for you. <laughs> Bring it on. Uh, okay. So uh, some of the influences included, of course, Frank Miller's 1980 works, which you got some of the characters in a more serious tone. So going back to that note, uh, you got the limited series, The Long Halloween, which you know talking about both this and the Batman has got some similar influences, similar pull, which, of course, that right. one explores, you know, the relationship between Bat Batman, Gordon, and Dent, which, of course, this film obviously does. Uh, I'd say, obviously, uh, Baby's first Batman, for sure, I would uh, say for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it worked more for Reeves. I feel like in every, especially Batman Begins, I think I remember Nolan Goyer talking about the long Halloween. I'm just like, by that point, you kind of had done everything you could have with it. But it is that it is that kind of just definitive Batman story in a way where like you could just get really anything out of it to be inspired by it. So yeah, that's that's a good start. Yeah. And of course, the the works of Miller, I'm I'm very mixed on. Uh, I have a I have a severe love hate with the Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> <laughs> like as a story it's just it's just so wonderful but it you know in, in a weird way we, where i said we said earlier this kind of ruined dc films the dark knight returns kind of ruined dc for a while where it really doubled down the idea of uh superman being a boy scout and batman just being this you know super angry punchy man it's just like no they they were you know there were elements of that beforehand of course but like there was a lot of you know complexity and you know nuances to it. and then just for a while it just became you know oh superman's america man and batman's angry mopey man it's like no that's, that's literally not the two at all <laughs> <laughs> but again for that for that idea for this batman of course in the portrayal of batman it, it, it it's definitely that but again bruce wayne still has a lot of life in him in these films yeah i i will say real quick thinking about it uh I guess for Long Halloween, they definitely in this film they definitely played into the uh, in that one where it's Dent, Gordon, and Batman going up against Marconi and Falcone, who are in a, in a bit of a war. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. But that's kind of playing into more Calendar Man and the uh, the killer of that the holiday killer of that film, who I guess just becomes an augmentation of Joker without the whole holiday aspect. Yeah, a um, couple others. Uh... Although it did not influence it, uh, the Killing Joke. Um, uh, Nolan believed this interpretation of the Joker as someone that was driven to prove that anybody can come like him with the you know the one bad day. Uh, literally, literally, Joker. Yep. Yeah, get, and gave purpose to this version and fit right in. Um, also, funny enough, uh, Christopher Nolan and his brother Jonathan realized later. 
uh, that they had inadvertently written their version similarly, similarly to the Joker's uh, first appearance in Batman number one. Hmm. <laughs> a funny falling into that is accidentally. Um, and uh, of course, uh, a couple others that are uh, not a comic book uh, noteworthy. Uh, so apparently... Esquire magazine worked out how much money that the Joker had burned, and it was a lot six point three billion they estimated in total. Well, let me tell you, Chris Nolan's like, Well, I can't have Clayface in this universe, but I can't have the mob, and I guess I'll make them stupid rich. <laughs> um mentioned this earlier uh the first time michael came forgot his lines uh it was actually I mean, going back to that it was a rehearsal on the very first day and they hadn't met or anything um so he had come up in the elevator of course and thinking i'm laying friends in and said which uh he's in the lift and so he he, he came tearing out and he forgot every line <laughs> oh man uh, but uh, that's a good one. And then I think uh, one last fact or something I stumbled on is in preparing for this, I had heard the theory about could Coleman and Reese be a nod to- towards the Riddler? And I started looking into it. I was like, I hadn't heard about this. Like, okay, well, he's intelligent enough to discover Bruce's Batman, that something's going on, and is intelligent enough to use that in that idea as information to get a personal gain and if you look at mr reese mysteries mm. get it you know like because of course we know the the riddler is edward enigma and got enigma mm-hmm. so there's a little bit of sense right there and also there's the fact you know he's a wayne enterprises employee and he the riddler was that and i think batman forever and he was also one in the Scott Snyder's Zero Year comic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's probably not the Riddler, but more so a tip of the cap. But it was an interesting theory I had not heard until preparing for this pod. You know, I, I could vibe with that because, uh, you know, in Batman Begins, uh, Victor Saz is, uh, you know, basically getting released, I think, or he's in court doing something. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, Nolan, to give a little tip of the cap there who knows maybe 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 he knew this whole time what he wanted the dark knight uh three to be and was just like well render's not going to be in it so i guess i'll give a little wink wink nod nod here all right some quotes and there's going to be a lot of joker ones in here (laughs) uh in fact i'm going to start with this you know peter i never expected the joker to give good career advice but if you're good at something never do it for free so if you want to heed the words of the Joker, uh, if you want to heed to one part of his words, let it be those. Anything else? No. <laughs> um. So let, let's just go through some other Jokers. You know, the why so serious? Uh, I'm an agent of chaos. You want to know how I got these scars? And, of course, he got the meme, and, which is like, well, everybody loses their minds and all that stuff. Uh, of course, that last little bit of monologue he has with Batman at the end, like everyone needs a little push. Yep. Yep. 
all it takes is a little push. There's a very good underrated one that's like the hardest line in the movie where he's mocking the detective who's like, hey, I killed your friend. And, you know, yeah, you know, in their last moments, people show you who they really are. So in a way, I know your friends. Yeah, yeah. Like, do I know which of them are cowards? And he just like, look at him like, do it. Do it, buddy. <laughs> I was just like, this man is a gangster. <laughs> he just wanted his one phone call. That's all he wanted. <laughs> oh, of course. Let her go. Very poor choice of words is a classic. Yeah. <laughs> like even Joker's just like, dude, I, I I mean I'm holding over the window. That's you're all right, whatever, Batman. <laughs> yeah. Uh I'm gonna add a uh Batman one in here just uh just get some variety in here. Uh where is she? Might <laughs> <laughs> well, have to turn the volume on that one down, everybody. Uh but uh you know, uh, another one that lends into the whole Joker and the plan thing, you know. You know, I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just uh, do things. Another another hard one when Gordon's like, uh, where is he? And he asks for the time. like, why was that make difference? Like, well, depending on the time, he could be in one spot or several, <laughs> i.e. he's blown to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness, Gordon. <laughs> Gangster. Uh, of course, the... Uh, a couple of classics that we're going to throw in here. You know, you either die here or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Uh, become a classic quote from Harvey, which kind of foreshadows what happens to himself. And then Alfred, of course, some men just want to watch the world burn, uh, which has become a famous one. Uh, this is a, a personal favorite of mine. I always find it funny is when, uh, you know, Bruce is about to turn himself in as Batman. And Alfred's like, it's supposed to lock me up as well as your accomplice. And Bruce's like, accomplice? I'm going to tell him the whole thing was your idea. <laughs> that one's a favorite. I think another one that's a favorite. He's going back to the whole Coleman Reese thing where he's talking to Lucius about it. He's like, let me get this straight. You think that your client, one of the wealthiest and most powerful men in the world, is secretly a vigilante who spends his nights beating criminals to a pulp with his bare hands. And your plan is to blackmail this person? <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like Lucius was talking to himself about this whole situation. He's like, this is ridiculous. Like, I don't even believe it. I'm part of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, rest in peace, uh, Tiny Lester. When he's uh, the, the the prisoner on the boat, it's like you don't you don't have yes. what it takes. Give it to me. I'll I'll. You can say I'm the one who pushed it, and he just throws out the window. It's like. Oh, yeah, God, we, we, we did not talk about that boat scene enough and just how great it is. Like, just all these random characters we've not seen just like be put yeah. in that situation and just nobody can press the button. Yeah. <laughs> and, th and then also, uh, the one we get at the end, the, the closing monologue, the whole you know, silent guardian, a watchful pr protector, mm -hmm. a dark knight classic as well. I don't I, know I, if there's I, any I that we miss. I, I think I, I think the one I said earlier was, you know, the when you're finished, type in your name and of course what that meant for uh yeah the, the sonar system. Yeah. Again, it's like it's like I said at the beginning, any scene you can just like it's just a collection of great scenes and it's supported by great quotes throughout. Yeah. Like it just goes back to the fact that this script is well written, well thought out. You got some really great lines here, lines that really make you think. But you also got some funny ones in here. Um, Do you really think you can steal from us? Yep. 
Uh, I think underrated one is like the Joker's like, and you thought my jokes were bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh man, there there's so many good ones. But uh, I think we're kind of wrapping up here. So Peter, let's debate this here. Who do you think won this movie? I would say uh, DC Comics and Warner Brothers won this movie because no matter how bad it has gotten for them in the public eye and they're ever basically losing battle with uh, Disney, Marvel, and the MCU, this is the ultimate trump card that I really don't think... like th There are great MCU movies that are genuinely good movies that deserve to be ranked up there, yeah. but I don't think one of them has touched the Dark Knight yeah. at all. Like I, I adore Winter Soldier. I think it's the most mature and probably the most well crafted of the MCU movies. Yeah, and I, I think I've said before, like you know, it's the closest to it. But I just can never bring myself to be like it's it's better than Dark Knight. But that's such a hard, hard thing to uh, get over, though. So like, for all for all my for all the scumbag DC fans like me, no matter how bad it gets, I'm just like, here's overlie. Uh, hold on, let me. Uh, here's all reliable <laughs> you know you say this while i got my uh marvel the background <laughs> exactly oh <laughs> uh, man know your place foggy <laughs> trash <laughs> well peter we're at the end of the pot i think the mouse is like okay i'm coming after him now <laughs> You know, he bought himself some time. He messed up at the end of the pod. I mean, I got the Haunted Mansion Mickey above me, so who knows? Maybe he'll come back. To, maybe he'll come to life and just kill me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so as far as who won the movie, I mean, you can make the case we did by getting this excellent film. But I think, you know, the probably the easiest choice is to say Ledger, you know, that mm – -hmm. He won the movie because, it, it, again, his performance is just so iconic now and where it stands in history. And it's going to stand the test of time when you think about performances and movies in general, to be honest. And like, this is a standout. It's something that it's going to be hard to forget. And it's going to be something that's going to be hard to top ever. It's an Oscar when it's actually remembered because there's a lot of films that have what, you know, there's like, this most recent one was the 93rd so there's like 93 best picture winners out there but like yeah. how many do you know off the top of your head and like let's get into the, the acting you know four cat for uh four separate categories for it with the two main and the two supporting <laughs> there's not a lot you remember no and like that that's one that i just think is kind of a, a tentpole comparison in a way yeah so i'm gonna go with ledger here in saying that he won it. I think it, it's an easy choice, but there's a lot of winners from this movie. Um, so yeah, I think that'll wrap us up here. Peter, we finally gave The Dark Knight its proper time, its proper pod, where we didn't mm -hmm. cram it with begins and rises. <laughs> uh, probably what we should have done in the first place. But uh, you know the saying, better late than never. So Dark Knight, happy happy 15 year anniversary. 
uh, before you know it, it's going to be a, oh crap, it's going to be another 15 years. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Peter, this is fun as always. Uh, we don't know if we'll record part two tonight, but uh, we'll have something with uh, the Batman and uh, this one as well and talk about how it stacks up with this one uh, a little bit later on. But that'll do it for us, everybody. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to go check us out wherever you guys get your podcasts. Uh, SoundCloud almost can't say Stitcher anymore because, as I told Matt, Peter, Stitcher is not going to be a thing anymore. Apparently, oh, it's going the way. Oh, no. Yep, I saw that on Twitter today. Oh, not today because who could see anything on Twitter today with the way things were going? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, go check us out where you guys get your podcasts. Check us out on YouTube, Five Cent Three Podcasts. Do all the YouTube stuff. Subscribe, leave a comment, share with your friends. Check us out on Twitter at 573 Podcast. Check me out on there as well, Ryan573 Views. I think that's everything out the way. So thank you all for tuning into this edition of the show. We got a lot of pots coming up. Again, part two to this one coming up later on. But that'll do it for us here, everybody. Have a good rest of your day, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye.